Hello and welcome. My name is Chris Connor, and I'll be your host for this series of interviews produced by Q Squared Solutions. I'm having conversations with experts to share their thoughts on laboratory considerations for immuno-oncology and companion diagnostics development. Today, I'm speaking with Andrew Crenshaw, the Global Companion Diagnostics Discipline Director at Q Squared Solutions. Andrew, welcome. Thank you, Chris. So we're going to talk about companion diagnostic development and different strategies to reduce risk for everyone involved and smooth the path to commercial success. So first of all, just to make sure everyone's on the same page, tell us specifically what is a companion diagnostic? Sure. A companion diagnostic is a medical device. It's often an in vitro device or uh, otherwise known as an assay that is developed that provides information that is essential for the safe and effective use of a corresponding drug or therapeutic product. The test helps clinicians or healthcare professionals determine whether a particular therapeutic product is going to benefit a patient, and that benefit will outweigh any potential serious side effects or risk. So, for example, a companion diagnostic can identify a patient who are most likely to benefit from a product, but it also can uh, identify patients that are, are increased risk for a serious side effect as a result from the treatment of a, a product. Or, as we're starting to see movement into monitoring the response of a treatment of a particular therapeutic product uh, for the purpose of adjusting the treatment or achieve, achieve improved safety or effectiveness. So, adjusting the dose as someone's on a particular drug throughout their treatment so that they have the, the most benefit from the product. So, it might not be just a one-time test to qualify for a treatment, but could be administered several times over the course of a treatment. Correct. And so we're starting to see this with the advent of next-gen sequencing and other type of technologies in this space that really folks are looking for that monitoring because we're seeing uh, the the resistance in cancer and other type of indications that might benefit a patient to be monitored to ensure that the drug is still doing what it's supposed to be doing. Got it. If a sponsor for a drug or a biologic thinks that uh, companion diagnostics might end up being necessary to access their approved therapy, what are the risk trade-offs that they're facing in terms of investment and so on? Um, so depending on the biomarker, there might be difficulties in developing an assay uh, that correctly characterizes that biomarker. There also there could be a reducibility to enter into markets due to the accessibility of that particular technology used to identify that biomarker or test that biomarker globally. Uh, for example, it's common throughout hospitals to have IHC or, or pathology review of particular of biomarkers, but next-gen sequencing is a, a new and more expensive type technology, so they might not be able to go after that as a uh, particular companion diagnostic. But that being said, the trade-off or the the what they gain from getting a companion diagnostic, they have a greater chance of reaching the correct population of patients that 
will see the greatest benefit of their therapeutic. It's been shown in the literature that it will increase their approval chances through the FDA two to threefold, uh, as well as we're seeing a lot of reduction in the time that it takes to complete a phase three trial that will show the efficacy of that companion diagnostic, which ultimately save the, the drug makers uh, a lot of money, but more importantly, reduce the overall risk to patients within their trials because we're able to identify the correct patient for that therapy before they start the therapy, reducing the risk of those adverse events. Let's also talk about sort of the risk of an early approach to determining, and maybe you already covered this, but going into it early and maybe it doesn't turn out the way or you wait too long and you're playing catch up with your therapy because you have to wait till the diagnosis. So what we tell the, the drug developers is uh, there's never too early to identify a biomarker. Uh, we're seeing a greater uh, effectiveness of those clinical trials, but the risk is identifying the right IVD manufacturer as that partner to share that risk of that upfront development of that companion diagnostic. So uh, not all, unfortunately, uh, not all drug trials make it all the way through to commercialization and release to the um to the public. And in fact, in oncology, it's pretty abysmal rate around 10 to 13% of drugs successfully making it through to the market. So uh, as an IVD manufacturer or uh, even the drug development, there's a lot of upfront cost that goes into developing that assay. And so that's one of the things that uh, we're seeing in the traditional approach and uh, folks even shying away from that traditional approach. And like you mentioned, waiting to see if they, they have that good correlation between a biomarker and the effectiveness of that drug in a trial. But that also puts uh, them at greater risk on the other side of being able to meet their uh, their timelines of their development by bringing on a companion diagnostic late in the, um, especially an IVD late in the development process and making sure that that goes through all the necessary steps to be able to get FDA approval. Right. And there are risks for the IVD manufacturers as well, right? Absolutely. Um, like I mentioned, that uh, the the drug trials not are hundred uh, percent successful. So uh, there's considerable amount of effort as well as cost that goes into developing an IVD. And so while the the advent of immuno oncology therapeutic products has you know really opened up the entire industry for companion diagnostics, the IVD manufacturers are starting feeling the heat because there's so many trials going on that are looking for those that they don't have the development capabilities in-house to be able to meet that demand, nor uh, the speed at which that these uh, folks are looking to get these drugs on the market. Because if you you think about it, and this is what we try to do at Q-squared is remind ourselves that every sample is a patient behind there and someone's life depends on that. We are looking to get that drug onto the market as fast as possible, but there are certain things that happen in IVD development that take a set amount of times. And so it might not match up to what the drug developer is looking. And so when you're actually releasing a companion diagnostic, that is ultimately tied together for the life of that drug. So if the companion diagnostic starts to slip on its timelines, the drug cannot enter the market until that assay is ready. So what approaches are being used to manage that risk for all the different parties, the sponsor, the IBD manufacturers, and so on? 
Well, I mentioned a couple of times around the, the traditional three-way partnership between a IVD manufacturer, a pharmaceutical or a drug developer, and a CRO like Q-squared. I mean, that's where the IVD partner seeks approval or clearance for the assay, which usually results in a distributable kit that can be deployed globally in either local hospitals or central labs like our, our parent organization, Quest Diagnostic. Um, but we're, all, we're seeing a shift in the marketplace where that upfront development cost, as well as timelines, is really not keeping up with the, the industry. And so there's an additional pathway that people are starting to go down. And that's called the single site pre-market approval or single site PMA. This is a lab developed test pathway, which involves the laboratory developing and seeking approval of the assay that is developed to support specific trials that demonstrate the clinical utility and analytic validity of the assay. Um, and so uh, that is a way to kind of short circuit or skip ahead on some of the actual the things that have to happen for an IVD manufacturer, but it doesn't skip over the the aspects that are, are commonplace for all companion diagnostics, like going in front of the FDA for a pre-investigational device exemption or otherwise known as IDE. There still have to be development of a device protocol and a submission to an investigational review board, so an IRB, to ensure that we're not adversely affecting a, a patient. So, But because a lot of that analytic verification activities can be done post a favorable interim analysis, so kind of peaking halfway through a trial and seeing that correlation with that biomarker, the LDT lab, uh, like Q-squared, can uh, help align that to the therapeutic timeline. So we can speed up that process by just going down the single site PMA instead of a full-blown IVD. Now, that doesn't mean that later that assay can't be transferred to another site. So the single site is kind of a misnomer, and that assay can be transferred to another site using a method comparison or even back to the IVD manufacturer or the technology partner um, by using a bridging study to allow for global distribution. So you start out with a single site, but that doesn't limit you in the long term. There's there's a route to getting a global distribution, even though you take it. There is, and it takes a bit of planning, um, but it is, uh, and there has been known cases of being able to go from that LDT uh, single site PMA route over to a global distributed kit. All right. So what are the advantages to both the sponsors and the IVD manufacturers of that approach? Uh, a lot of it has to do with um, the the length of time and the cost that it, it, it takes to create a full-blown IVD development or assay. And so um, this can reduce the front-loaded investment needed in IVD. So this can really open up CDX routes for niche indications. So rare diseases that don't have the hundreds of thousands of people that are diagnosed each year. So that will eliminate some of that need to couch it to meet, um, you know, all companies are out there are are for profit, so there is a profit margin that people are looking at to be able to support all these different type of trials, um, and so it reduces some of that uh, investment because it allows for that particular lab to be the one that can run all those tests, 
and it also uh, can align better for the management of project timeline. So like I mentioned, going for that peak, you know, after a, a post uh, or interim analysis of being able to say, okay, we're, we're meeting our targets, we're, we're heading towards uh, meeting our endpoints. So now let's start developing that LDT. We're able to meet and align ourselves with that market launch and so that the assay is ready at day one. Because the worst possible thing is to actually have an FDA approval on a drug that nobody can get because that assay has not been approved as well. Right. And I, just in the in the rare disease case, it just seems like it that's good for patients. I mean, that there's a route now because I, I can imagine in the past without this type of approach, a lot of rare diseases would just be ignored because the expense of trying to get an approval for something would outweigh whatever they're able to do, right? Yeah, um, FDA does have some routes around humanitarian um, pathways, so there are ways to explore. And that's why Q-Squared really uh, talks with our partners to, to get involved with that early um, strategic vision of what they're, they're looking for their development pathways so that we can help guide them through uh, certain aspects around commercialization and uh, post-market or post-launch market analysis. And so we can rely on a lot of our parent companies, IQVIA and Quest, around that type activity to help those folks make those decisions. But really, yeah, you, you hit the uh, nail on the head by saying it really reduces that upfront cost. You're, you're really just being able to say, okay, if we make it past this gated review and we're making it towards our endpoint, okay, let's trigger the next phase of that assay development that is adhering to the federal guidelines for these type of assays, but you're really not putting the onus of that design control and other type QSR quality uh, system uh, regulations around that until it, it really shows that it's going to have a promise of getting approved. All right. So finally, let's look ahead. Talk a little bit about where the science is going in general and what might constitute a companion diagnostic in the future. Yeah, we're in some pretty exciting times. Um, And so we're actually seeing a more deeper and more widespread impact of companion diagnostics, especially in the role uh, in the world of immuno-oncology, because what we're seeing is that we're able to go into substrates that were previously locked out of us. Um, so blood going after circulating tumor DNA, being able to actually hopefully be able to get someone onto a drug earlier because we're able to um, identify that cancer and their effectiveness of a particular drug for a patient earlier. We're also seeing that with the advent of next-gen sequencing into the clinical space that we're able to not just focus on one particular biomarker like a qPCR or even an IHC type assay would have to do we're able to build panels. And so now we're at this cusp in the marketplace to say, okay, how big is the panel need to be so that we can, one, use it for multiple indications. So you're not going through this development pathway for every single indication that your drug might be able to treat you're able to add on those indication to a larger panel. And so then you are able to start also picking up other type of uh, information that can come along with it. But also we're seeing even uh, folks going 
further in saying, okay, combination of two type of technologies. So, for example, uh, PDL1 by IHC and then tumor mutational burden by NGS panel. And so we're really seeing, you know, the development in this space. And it's, it's really great because people are really pushing this to say, okay, we're not just okay of getting it right, you know, 50% of the time where that used to be something that was somebody was really ecstatic about it. But now we're seeing, okay, all right, can we bifurcate that population by one biomarker with another test to even get even more sensitivity and more benefit to those patients? But even more important, not put someone on there that's not going to um, uh, get any benefit from that particular drug because they are so expensive, but also keep them from having adverse reactions or even wasting time on a particular um, treatment that might not even give them any benefit down the road. Right. That's pretty exciting for every party involved from patients to manufacturers to labs, everyone, I think. Absolutely. Andrew Crenshaw, thanks so much for sharing your insights and expertise with us today. If listeners are interested in learning more, Q-Squared Solutions is hosting a free immuno-oncology scientific symposium on March 21st, 2019 in San Francisco. To register, go to www.q2labsolutions.com events.